Welcome to my Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by a man who started at United, then spent a reasonable amount of time um, working his way through at Crew um, as played Bradford, Sheffield Wednesday, Chester, Wrexham, Northampton, um, and had a number of spells managing not only in the UK, but also um, in places like India, um, Malaysia, um, and is currently established in Sydney on my neck of the woods. Today we are joined by Ash Westwood. How are you, Ash? I'm fine, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Very, very good. Marvin, how do you know Ash? Because, I mean, he's not a Luton player. No, but, I mean, Ash, you can jump in any time you want with this, but I think it was at Lillishaw. We, I went to Lillishaw, like injured players went to Lillishaw. Ash was at Lillishaw. I was at, at Lillishaw getting treatment and stuff, and you go there for the week. And so we sort of, like, kind of, like, came together then. And, I mean, it was, on I think, on a Wednesday or Thursday night, he said, oh, look, do you fancy going out for a drink? Oh, yeah, sure. So he said, oh, we're going in my car. Like, I think it was a GTI Golf V, one of these sporty cars, like, he had about the time. And so he's driving down the road like a nutter. Anyone knows Ash will know what I mean when I'm like a nutter. I said, you better slow down. You can, you can get, like... It's done for like driving, you can get banned. He went, Can you get done twice? I went, what do you mean? He went, I've already been banned. I said, I'm banned. I went, What? And that was the first encounter. Is that right, Ash? Um, probably, probably <laughs> just, just uh, reminding me about that. Yeah, um, that was in my young, reckless days. I think that car I bought off uh, Robbie Savage actually. Um, when he was at crew, I think he, he left to go to Leicester and I bought it off him. So, um, yeah, that was a, a bit of a jinx car. Checkered pass with the old driving. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably not a great one for the old uh, authorities to listen to, but <laughs> probably had been banned at the time, but managed to, uh, you, can't, to you, you, up. you can't get banned, you can't get re banned, can you? No, they're, they're going to come to Sydney if you break out. the law. Where do they send you? Where you're living right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <I suppose>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I've, uh, I'm all right these days, but yeah, that was uh, I think also we had a couple of. Friends in common, I think uh, John Dreyer, I, I played yeah. with at Bradford. Uh, Brownie. Brownie. Tiki as well, Phil, Phil Gray, was it? Yeah, was it, I remember Brown, Chris Brown. Is it Chris Brown? Chris Brown, Brown, yeah, he's in Dubai now, actually. I actually, yeah. uh, actually had a couple of messages off him yesterday. He's doing all right with the coaching. He's got some coaching yeah, stuff going on in Dubai. Did a bit of TV work. Uh, lived in Milton Keynes, didn't he? That's right. And then uh, obviously went on to to meet Sol Davis through Milton Keynes and people like that. So. Harps, yeah, Harper, the goalkeeper. Yeah, the, uh, so, yeah the a lot of mutual friends, yeah. yeah. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Well, you're here to um, talk about the best 11 players you've ever set foot on a pitch with in a professional or a competitive game. Um, now, you're, you've had a bit of double managing, um, which is why sometimes we get a bit more explanation regarding formations and that type of thing. So what formation did you pick for your best 11? And why or how did you come up with that? Yeah, I think um, just trying to get the best players in the right positions, really. Um, probably like a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. You know, everyone's obsessed with formations these days. I think everything's kind of settled around a 4-4-2 in it, but it's flexible. You know, a 4-4-2, if you send a 4, drops in, becomes a 4-3-3. Um, or it becomes a 4-2-3-1. So everything kind of revolves around the same stuff, but... Probably a four-two-three-one, two defensive kind of holding midfielders, uh, a little number ten to provide the magic, and uh, a couple of wide players to get some crosses in for my goal scorer up front. So yeah, a four-two-three-one. Excellent. And it's and managing is that what you did all the time? Did you sometimes have to 
change the formation to fit the players? Or did you like, no, this is my way. This is the way I think is the best way of playing football. No, I think um, when I first went to India, I always go back to India because I had a, a three-year spell there where you get chance to uh, to put your systems in place. Is that ben- Bengaluru? Ben- Bengaluru? Yeah. Bengaluru FC, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously Bangalore, but they, they they change the name and make it a bit more cosmopolitan these days. Um, yeah, just I, I went in with a four-three-three with one defensive kind of midfielder, probably a little bit similar to our Liverpool play. You know, really expansive fullbacks. Um, you know, tried to be high energy, tried to improve the fitness of Indian players to to take an advantage. Um, but when I, you know, I, that, and I stuck to that really, um, didn't really bother too much about the opposition because it was India there was going to be a bit of a language barrier and if you start chucking in loads of different formations they don't even understand the first one never mind two three four so you've got to be careful with uh, I suppose information overload in India but once I got there after a year then I started to develop other systems to make us a bit more flexible and then start looking at oppositions no analysis to, to find their weaknesses to change our system um, and, and just over time made it a little bit flexible, but I was always 4-3-3 three, three to start with, like I say, with real expansive fullbacks, one midfielder, two attacking midfielders to get in a box, make sure we get four or five people in the box when we attack. Um, and and also that way you can press quite well out of shape as well. So that was what I did. And then, like I say, made it a bit more flexible year two, year three. Yeah, awesome. So we're going to get straight into your best 11. And as we go through, um, our listeners guess. So if you can give us some clues as we go through. Um, and start off with the crazy, the crazy town itself. Okay. The goalie. Yeah, I think the old uh, you got to be a bit of a nutter, aren't you, to be a goalkeeper? They said goalkeepers unions are a bit unique. They're always a little bit separate, I suppose, from the team because they train on their own, and they, you only call them over when you want to have some fun and shoot at them. Um, so my goalkeeper was uh, I played with some good ones. So, I mean, Marv mentioned Lee Harper there. He doesn't quite make it, but he was a good goalkeeper. Um, Played with a good one at Bradford, um, who I also was at Man United with. But my goalkeeper, probably the one I put in was was left-footed. So there's a clue. Um, and probably was decent with his feet. Had a really good strike with him. And obviously, in my time, the, the back pass rule changed. You know, he couldn't do what Marv did when he played chip it, chip it back from 40 yards and waste some time. You know, he had to play through and keep his... He had to start using their feet. So uh, my goalkeeper was probably ahead of his time with his foot. Um, so could actually kick a ball because I played with some goalkeepers that had frigging two left feet and couldn't kick the ball. Question: Did he play for England? Um, I, I, I think he might have played England B. I'm not sure. I don't think he had a okay. full in- international. Um, actually, did you did you play with this? Did you play with this player at Sheffield Wednesday? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'll yes. give it away. Go on then, Andrew. You'd... I assume it's Kevin Pressman. Yeah, it is. Prezi. Um he, he wasn't that mad actually uh, for a goalkeeper. You know, he was quite a, a nice fella, uh, quite quiet and reserved. You know, we wouldn't come out and uh, grab you by the neck, which some goalkeepers would if you made a mistake. But he had a good left foot. Um, I think I remember him going on some programme and having his foot kick measured at mile per hour or something. He had a bit of a, a sledgehammer of a left foot. But, uh, you know, a decent goalkeeper. We played nearly 500 games in he for Sheffield Wednesday. So, um, you know, a bit of a stalwart and quite reliable. Yeah. Did you prefer the, the keepers that came out and gave you an absolute bollocking? Obviously playing in defence a lot of the time. Yeah, I think I, I used to row with Pressman on the pitch, actually. I'd be, you know, I, I was quite loud myself on the pitch and I would always say, any chance of you coming for a cross? You know, <laughs> but, you know, goalkeepers, <laughs> the, the mad ones would always 
you know, come and get come for crosses, you know, put the heart on the sleeve. But I think Prezi was more like, uh, you know, lead by example, solid citizen rather than uh, a crazy goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, definitely. And he only played B. Is that reckoning he was just unlucky behind Seaman and wasn't he behind Chris Woods as well at Sheffield Wednesday for a little while as well? Yeah, that Maybe was before my time. I just think. before you got there. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think uh, obviously there's some some top goalkeepers around there, weren't there? So he was it was decent, but obviously not not world class, I would have thought. Excellent. All right. So that's Kevin Pressman. Um gonna hand over to you for right backs or left backs, whichever one you prefer. Yeah, uh, I'll go well. I could almost give it away there if I said something, but yeah, I'll start with right back. It's kind of how you uh, you write your sheet, don't you? You go from right to left yeah. if, you, yeah. if you're naming your, your formation. So for some reason, everyone kind of does that. I don't know why. Um, yeah, this one, um, trying to obviously, if you think about you know my career and where I started, you'd, you'd probably guess straight away the more right back from from winning trophies, um, from being you know a reliable Premier League player. Um, again, a bit of an all rounder good at most things. Um, and, and again, another person who probably leads by example. Has he become slightly political recently? Yeah. Uh, and probably never goes on, uh, have I got news for you again? Or whatever it was that he went on. <laughs> yeah, they tore him apart, didn't they? Yeah, I didn't actually see it. I've just seen some uh, snippets in the, in the newspaper and stuff like that. But by all accounts, he uh, he got he got destroyed on there. But he's... Uh, I like listening to him. I think his views are good. You know, his tactical information is good. I always, uh, it's quite hard out here. You probably know to to keep in touch with the Premier League. It's daft because you got to get up at frigging 6am or, yeah. you know, your day's starting. You don't quite get enough time to watch the 90 minutes. So I, I listen a lot to the uh, the Sky Sports podcast, which is obviously their broadcast of the game. You get the interviews after the game. Obviously, you know what's going on in the game. And then you listen to your, your Gary Neville's, your Carragher's, Jamie Redknapp's or whatever. And, uh, you know, always comes across quite well. And uh, you know, got got many many views, but you know, quite a lot of them uh, are, are bang on. Really, um, he, he's doing really well for himself. Yeah, definitely. Marvin, know what we're talking about? No. <laughs> May not is right back for years. Irwin. <laughs> England, England, right back for absolutely yonks in the nineties, late nineties. He's got a brother. I don't know, Miles frozen, frozen he? or he just froze. doesn't know the answer. <laughs> no, I'm sure he does. <laughs> Yeah, Irwin's the old left back, isn't he? He's not right back. Uh, probably because of Gary Neville. He does. Gary Neville is in there. So we've got Gary Neville. Now, he came through in that class, of uh, quite a famous class. Um, we're talking about Gary Neville, Marv, by the way. Now he joined us again. So did he come through? Did you, play so did you come through in the same class then? Or were you... So I was 93. So I was the year below um, Neville. Yep. Uh, they were obviously second year apprentice when I was first year. I did a second year apprentice there and a, and a year's pro. And that's when uh, I got offered a two-year dinner uh, and I turned it down. Um, probably one of the only young kids to to knock on the famous door of Sir Alex Ferguson's door. Probably took me a week to do it and and turned my contract down. I went to crew in a tribunal, which was a, a big decision back then. But um, with the, the amount of players in front of me, I just thought it was time to play first-team football. So that was where I left. But played many... A team, B team games with Gary Neville. Um, you know, played reserve team football as well. Probably 20, 30 games in the reserves, which was you know you, you look back at old reserve sheets and you have people like Dion Dublin playing in there and you know Paul Ince or you know it was used as proper reserves in them days. You know the the first teamers would use it if they got suspended or you know if they 
uh, got injured, they'd use it as part of their rehabilitation, playing in the reserve. So many occasions you would you would play with the the superstars, if you like, in a in a competitive game, and and crowds always used to turn out, and it was a a great learning curve. Yeah. Go on, go back to that one then. The conversation with Sir Alex. I mean, didn't him down. How did that go? No, it was uh, it was pretty. Like I say, I, I think I was tenth defender, so I'm looking at it there, thinking I'm I'm ready for first team football. I'm trying to tell Ferguson everything he knows, which he, he knows obviously miles more than me. But as a a stupid kid, you, you think you know it all, and I just thought I'm ready for first team. So you know, I I, I knocked on the door. Um, I basically it was a, I I, I offered my first year pro contract. I was on two hundred and ten quid a week. Um, which back then was probably okay money, but it wasn't enough to probably move out your house. It wasn't enough to probably buy a car. A um, couple of players in front of me obviously played first team, like your David Beckham's, and they were getting four-year contracts with signing on fees and stuff where they could afford to buy a car. And I couldn't, um, so I needed one really to, to get in. So I knocked on the door just to say, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson probably brought me in first to tell me I'd done really well, played in the reserves, and he was going to give me a brand-new two-year contract. Um my wages were going to go up to two seven five in my second year, and in my third year it was going to be three hundred quid. So we're talking like sixty five pound rise, and then in my second year it'd be a twenty five pound rise. And that's the way you know Ferguson did his business, which obviously stood him in good stead, keeping the young lads' feet on the ground. But me thinking I know it all, I'm like, I need a signing on fee to get a car. And he's like, Well, you need to get him a get him a first team, and you'll get a signing on fee. And I'm saying, Well, I can't get a car, can I? So I said, Well, I'm going to have a look elsewhere. And you can imagine Alex Ferguson telling Alex Ferguson, "You're going to look elsewhere." He's like, "Well, go on then." And I said, "Well, if I leave, will you will you want to will you want a a fee for me, a transfer fee?" And he said, "Of course I will. You're you're a Man United player." So I'm like, "Well, how much would you want for me?" And he said, "75 grand." I said, "Well, is, is that not going to make it hard for me to get away?" And he went, "Of course it will." He went, "Who the fuck's going to buy you for 75 grand?" <laughs> <laughs> So I'm obviously feeling about two inches big, just walks out the office. And I was lucky, I was playing for England at the time, I think 18s, 21s, and my manager was uh, Ted Powell. And he, I think he had a relationship with Dario Gravi. So I rang him uh, and just said, listen, I'm you know, I'm looking for a club. I can leave Man United for a fee. And he rang Dario and said, listen, we've got this kid who's playing in Man United. He, he's looking to get out. You can get him for 75. If I was you, I'd buy him. And next thing, Dario rang me and said, come and have a meeting. So I met Dario Grant and he says, we want to buy you for 75 grand. So I was like, perfect. Offer me a contract that was a bit more money. Get me signing on fee, get me car. And obviously play first team football in, in League One, I think it was. So it's not, not the championship, the one below. Uh, so step three, if you like, in England. And I was only 19. I thought that would be perfect. So I went back to Man United day before pre-season to, to obviously have another meeting with Alex Ferguson. Um, took me a week to pluck up the courage because you don't knock on his door. If you do, you know you're going to get hammered. Um, <laughs> so I uh, I knocked on his door and said, listen, uh, you know, is there any chance of that signing on for you? And he's like, I've told you, no. You know, <laughs> get in my first team and you'll and you'll get looked after here. Just trust me. And me being the, the knobhead I was, didn't trust him. Um, which I should have just said, oh, I've, I've been speaking to crew. He's like, yeah, we know. Go on, off you go. So then I'm thinking, shit, this ain't going like I planned. I thought he was going to come out with a little five grand signing on fee. And he's like, no, go on then. <laughs> so next thing I'm thinking, oh my God, I've backed myself into a corner. I'm about to leave the best club in the world and over, over five grand signing on fee. Um, 
But being stubborn, just thought, right, I'm going. So I left. And I remember Eric Harrison, Brian Kidd coming out into the car park saying, what are you doing? Like, you were about to leave the club. You're close. You, you, you know, you've got a chance here. If you have another year, you're probably getting the first team. And I'm like, nah, nah, I'll show him. I'll show Ferguson. <laughs> so obviously that backfired. Um, yeah, so up I went to, to crew. Um, next thing, Darrow rang Alex Ferguson. And uh, so we got Ash ready to do the deal. And he's like 75 grand. He was like, no, what are you talking about? It's 500 grand. He said, this lad's a Man United player. Um, he's got a chance. We want 500. So next thing, there was a, a tribunal. And I think he ended up going for 80,000 in the end um, and, and played first team football. But, you know, looking back, I, I don't have any regrets, I suppose. But I remember telling my my missus now, who's actually a Man United fan. And when I told her the story, a bit similar to yourself, I don't think she spoke to me for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, what an idiot you are. <laughs> Wowzers. Yeah, it was, you... uh, but I, you know, I, I ended up playing nearly 100 games for crew. I think we got promoted in my second year to the championship. Um, and, and I played, you know, till I was 35 in England. So you never know. I could have stayed. There was, there was different examples. I think in that pecking order, Wes Brown was below me. Obviously, Wes Brown went on to, to do great things for Man United. There was also, you know, other people like Ronnie Walwork, who was below me, who, who played a few games at United, but then didn't have a, a long career. There was other players that got injured and didn't make it. So you can never, you know, sliding door moments, I suppose. But if I'd stayed at United, I could have got injured, never played. I could have, you know, gone out of football after two years because they hadn't played first team football. You just never know. So the path was chosen and and off I went and, you know, managed to, to stay in football till I was 35. So I can't be too, you know, regretful. Have you seen him since? Did you, obviously you know, you've seen him since, but you have you spoken what, I, about that? Yeah. Uh, we touched on it. So I went to a game about, actually it was uh, Man United Liverpool uh, not so long ago when the start of the season when, when United beat them. They were having a bad time, but they beat Liverpool at Old Trafford. And we got invited to the, the director's box and we, we we bumped into the gaffer and I had a great chat with him. He invited us into his, his office after the game. Me and my missus, my missus, like I say, is a big Man United fan here and she, she does a bit of TV work over here. And uh, we had a good chat with him. And then he said, oh, I'm coming to, to Sydney in a few months' time. He said, I'm going to Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup. Uh, so we was like, listen, if you're in Sydney, give us a bell and, and whatever. And then I remember it was probably only about some, when Melbourne Cup was on, so about six weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. And I was, uh, it was a Wednesday morning. My phone rang, private number, and he answered it. Ashley. I went, hello. He went, Alex Ferguson. I said, all right, mate, how are you doing? <laughs> you all right? <laughs> and... Uh, he ended up, we had a great chat. He said, come and see us for a coffee tomorrow. So we met up for coffee and we ended up going to the uh, to the races together on the Saturday. And we spent uh, six or seven hours at the races having a drink and talking old stories. And we had a real good time. And, you know, it was nice to see him again um, outside of football. And, uh, you know, probably, probably the most time I got to spend with him chatting just about everything, really having a drink, you know, so relaxed and, sharing old stories and we, we had a great Saturday afternoon me and my missus and uh, a couple of his mates that he brought over from England <laughs> so there's no animosity there wasn't any animosity or nah, anything nah, like that no nah, it's brilliant I mean it's so many years I, I did uh, I bumped into him 2014 I think it was at the PFA Awards I was actually went to the toilet to uh, to, uh, to go to the toilet as you do and next thing I looked at the urinal next minute the gaffer was there and then we just got sacked at Blackburn me and a Michael Appleton and he was like, what are you doing going to Blackburn? He said, uh, that club's a mess, blah, blah, blah. It was when the Benkies owned it. 
he said you should always call me and uh, you know whenever you need any advice in football ring me but you shouldn't have gone to Blackburn tell Michael we should you know ring us and blah blah so I think from there I ended up um, every time I I went to football so when I was in India I was in, in contact with him just texting him every now and again and he'd always reply and give some advice about you know doing this or doing that and mm. you know just became a bit of a, a mentor really and you know, he, I think he's like that, and he looks out for people that, that's gone through the system at United. He's he's been a a great figure for for many many footballers that, that's gone through that system. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's great, great that he's, stories. Yeah, yeah, it's great. He's still um, and he loves his horses. Has Melbourne Cup and all those Golden Miles and stuff out here, as the Australians seem to. So yeah, I think that was the connection we've got. A, I would say a, a part of a a fingernail in a horse over here, a little share. And I was talking to him about that. It's with. With Chris Waller, that he runs at you know Ramwick and Rose Hill, so we was telling him about that. So it was uh, it was nice. Excellent, excellent. We can get back to best eleven um, before we delve again into your career. So left back, we've got Gary Neville at right back. Who's gone at left back? This was, I mean, I I, I was going to put Phil Neville in there to be honest, uh, but I didn't because he's right footed and uh, you know it was a little bit of a he, he did play many many games obviously at left back a little bit like Dennis Irwin, but the one I went for. Um, I'll give you a clue. He did play for England. Um, that's one clue. And they're probably a bit like Preston, but even better. He had an unbelievable left foot. Um, so there's there's two clues. I don't know if you can get it off that. Was it a Sheffield Wednesday? Yeah, it was. Yeah, has to be. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday. And I'm trying to think who else. Did he play for Everton? Yeah, he did. Andy Hinchcliffe? That's yeah. the one, yeah. Man City as well. It's Actually, I was a, a Man City fan growing up and uh, I used to watch him. Uh, played for Man City and then obviously I ended up playing alongside him at Sheffield Wednesday he was injured a lot when I was there uh, he had problems with his Achilles but before I got there he got into the England side didn't he I think he was it was when Glenn Oddle uh, got got the England job and he was playing with wing backs three at the back and you know wing backs suited him actually um, you know fast uh, unbelievable like I say left foot probably one of the best left foots I've ever seen just and a bit of a sledgehammer he could smash it you know ping it 60-70 yeah. yards he had that one where we used to call it like the grass cutter. You could smash it across a, you know, like a, a centimetre off the ground and it would travel for freaking 50 yards like an arrow. Um, so he had uh, he had a decent left foot, stuck him in. Um, and he's obviously gone on to be a, a decent pundit as well, hasn't he? He does a lot of commentary and stuff like yeah. that for Sky Sports. Quite intelligent. Yeah. I remember he was studying for history, I think, when we were there. And we had, uh, used to get his DVDs sent to the ground. We used to have a lad there called Steve Harkness, who was also a left-back, actually. Not a bad left-back, but he's a scousing. Yeah, Liverpool, was he? Liverpool, yeah. yeah. He, was, uh, he was a good lad, but he was one of those practical jokers. You know, he'd begin, he was terrible, to be honest. Um, you know, room service, we used to room together. If anyone had room service, he'd intercept it, take the food off and probably do one of his businesses on the plate and put the put the tray lid back on and someone would get delivered a turd for the, for the room <laughs> service. He was horrendous. Um, but I remember Inch used to study for history and Archie would always nick his books and rip out the back three pages, get his DVDs that he got delivered, he'd snap them in half and stuff like that and put them back in the box. So Inchy, he probably uh, would remember me as an actress as, as terrorising him a little bit at Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> so go back, you're a Sheffield, sorry, Sheffield, you're a Man City fan. Yeah, I was just, uh, I think most people from Manchester, they were, they were, Pretty shit, weren't they, Man City, when I was growing up compared to Man United? The tickets were cheaper. People hadn't got a lot of money and, you know, kids and families used to go and watch Man City probably more than Man United. Uh, Man United got a big following in Salford. A lot of the other areas around Manchester used to be Man City fans and they were just the first team my dad used to take me to watch and my brother supports City, my son supports City and it was always always Man City really growing up. 
uh, which made it strange when I, I signed for Man United at the age of 10. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to play for C? Never. Um, didn't fancy me for some reason. Um, I don't know. The, I, I, play, I started playing football within six months uh, at the age of 10. I think I signed for Man United through my Sunday league side. Um, we, we got invited to play against them as a, a trial game and I got picked up from there and it was always Man United, really. Yeah. So, but you're a so you're a City fan playing for United. How does that go? Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, it just when you when you like, like I say, I was at the class of '93, and then you you play in you, in the training ground every single day with the, with the lads from '92, and all of a sudden they start playing in the first team. So you kind of grown up with the first team, I suppose, and you go to every single home game as you do as an apprentice and a, and a, and a pro watching, um, and it. It kind of, if if really have admitted it, you, you kind of become almost a Man United fan then because you're at the club for so long. You're always looking out for Man United. You're always interested in them, and it just took that rivalry out of it for me. Really, you know, I wasn't passionate rivals and didn't hate Man United. Didn't have the hatred that Man City fans would have for Man United. Um, so it was just strange. But you know, football's football. It's happened to many people. I mean, Jamie Carragher was an Everton fan, wasn't he? he played for Liverpool. It, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. So we got Hinch. And Neville, who are you going at centre-backs? Um, again, I try and not name too many Man United players because I never made a first-team appearance for Man United and it gets a bit boring, doesn't it? And a bit frigging, yeah, good one, mate. You didn't even play in the first team. You know, I did play <laughs> reserves and I did win the Youth Cup there. So I try and stick away from, you know, every picking of the Class of 92 team. So I went for someone... Who were played with? Uh, there's, I played with many centre halves to play. I was a centre half, um, so you always look at that as your partner. Um, and I played with some good ones, um, but the one I played with played for England, probably in the same era as Andy Inchcliffe. Um, and again, a, a Sheffield Wednesday connection, so that that should give it away, really. Forest player as well. Yeah, yeah, could uh, have an argument in a phone box. They say <laughs> he uh, could talk for England. Never mind, play for England. Yes, indeed, indeed. So we are talking about Mr. Des Walker. Yep, certainly are. Uh, rapid, wasn't he quick? We used to argue all the time on the pitch. Uh, obviously, I admired him. I was only, what, 22 or something like that. And he was probably 34, 35. But at 34, 35, he was still quick. Um, but he knew everything, Des. You couldn't tell him. I actually got him once in a secret Santa when I got the old, um, you know, the wind-up chattering teeth that, that move across the desk. <laughs> I stuck, I stuck one of them in for his secret Santa and uh, got a little laugh off the lads. But um, yeah, top player. I remember actually playing a game against Birmingham and um, I think Andy Johnson was playing the old uh, blonde centre forward who played for Crystal Palace. And yep. um, he was he was as quick as I've seen or quick as I've ever played against. And I was quick as well. Uh, but this lad was was lightning. I remember saying to Des, oh, by the way, this Andy Johnson, I said, I played against him before, mate. Be careful, he's rapid. And he was like, fuck off, fuck off. I'll we'll play the game. It's 10 times quicker and 10 times better. And uh, two minutes in, they knock a ball down the channel and uh, Andy Johnson absolutely rips Des a new one. And uh, I've looked across and gone, Des, Des. Like, give it one of them. It's like, <laughs> but he, he was like that. I mean, even at 34, I think because he was that quick in his day, he still believed he was quicker than anyone, but... Andy Johnson certainly gave him two yards and, and flew past him. But a top player, um, obviously went went to Italy. Didn't he want to, was it Sampdoria or somewhere like that he went to and yeah. in the 90s? And the rumour was he came back with about two suitcases full of money. But he was uh, he was certainly a top player. Yeah. Oh, and, and he played, he was amazing for England. I mean, what, what do you mean by he could, 
you said he could um you said he could argue have an argument in a phone box what do you mean by that is he was he always gobby or was he yeah, just, just just loud opinionated but but a good lad you know not not offensive with it but i think at the time if, you just have you know you put you know when you're reeling the clubs off someone says to me who you play for and you, you end up getting a bit embarrassed because you play for like 12 14 clubs and you have so many different stories in your head so many different players you've played with but at the time we had Carlton Palmer there as well and I just remember them two just arguing all the time they both just clashed and arguing and arguing and both loud and opinionated but um so I, it's just an old saying isn't it you, you just always associate you know loudness with Des and same as Carlton really they were they were just loud um so that's where the old saying have an argument in the phone box comes from yeah and I, I mean obviously by the time you got to Sheffield Wednesday, you played at a number of different clubs anyway. So you were able to maybe hold your own as opposed to if you'd have gone Sheffield Wednesday straight after that conversation with Sir Alex, um, it, you might have been a different type of, type no, of kid. No, no, he doesn't trust me. He'd hold his own any time. <laughs> no, he didn't have to be like going to a few clubs before he could like say, have it be opinionated, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was loud as well, to be honest. Yeah, uh, loud on the pitch, always loud in and around the dressing room. I always managed to be like the man who holds the kitty on a night out, collects the fines and all that stuff. And you know, I was always uh, in and amongst it myself, to be honest. So probably Des would say to me, I can have an argument in the phone box as well. <laughs> Fair enough. So next to Des Walker, who is it? Um, yeah, this one I've I've gone for uh, again. I said I've played with loads of centre halves that are good. Darren Moore played with Dean Smith, Gary Monk, um, David Weatherall, but they they don't make it. But I, you always have to have an organizer, and uh, that's my clue really. The centre half I played with was an organizer. I think he's shown that um, after his playing career, and that that's a big clue if you if you've done your research on where I've played and who I've played with. Maybe that gives it away. Yeah, I, keep, I mean, I keep going in and out. I mean, just let everyone know that because of my connection, but. I didn't hear a few names. Um, that's one. I, I think Marvin has also played with him. Go on. What's Marvin, that? you've also played with him, I think, when he was on loan at Luton. Daishi? Yeah, we've gone for him. The old, uh, I think every team needs an organiser. I played with him at Northampton. Um, very clever at organising things around him so he doesn't have to do any running. Um, loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, still speak to him these days. Uh, obviously done really well for himself with his organisational skills at Burnley, didn't he? And uh, I've put him in just just for a mix and a blend, really, trying to get some characters in there without having uh, without having all the same people. Like I say, I could have put others in there, but um, just for his organisational skills and a, and a blend of, of characters, uh, I'll put Daish in there. I reckon Daish and Des Walker will go together. Well, that would be a, a clash of personalities, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see that one. Um, but a fast one and a slow one, an organiser. A solid citizen as well, um, and just good character. Uh, another, you know, loud in and around the lads. Uh, good lad, you know, good value on a night out as well. And uh, yeah, just just put him in for a nice blend, really. Yeah, he was. He's been on our pod. He was uh, Daishi. He's an awesome guy, and and really, really straight down the line. Even though you could tell he's had some media training, he was so so just just frank and honest. And it was probably like that with you guys. Just like I, I am who I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I still speak to him now when, whenever I go back to England, which I, I used to get back there a lot, to be honest, certainly when I was doing the TV work before COVID. And we always, <coughs> ended, you know, he, he was living in Northampton. He's recently moved to Nottingham, um, but always, you know, I end up going for a, a, a beer with him, take the kids for a beer together. His, his lad's the same year as my lad. 
they used to be at, at Northampton Town together, um, and we just go for a beer and a curry and stuff, and just have a just a normal get chat where you're just not really talking about football, just just kind of known each other for for many years and bit of a release for him, I suppose, from football, just chatting to somebody who's not going to peck his head about the same things and you can let your head down without being worried. Yeah. Now, you, yeah, you, said, luck, you, yeah, you said you've been in and out of a number of clubs. Um, obviously, you coming through United's Academy and then playing for some clubs. I know you're saying about a um, number of clubs and, and kind of big clubs, but you played at Bradford when they were when Bradford were big um, in the Premier League, you played for Sheffield Wednesday. What's it like when you go into some of these other clubs when you've kind of been at the the top of your game, the top, top level, and then you go into some of these clubs? Is it a bit like, do, do you walk in and feel like they've got a target on you or they have higher expectations of you? What's it like? Yeah, I think when you've gone, I mean, the, the biggest, I was at Sheffield Wednesday for three years and then they had that, um, I don't even remember, well, I, I there was a TV station in England, I think it was on digital or something like that. And they, they promised a load of money to the football league clubs and they oh, went bust. Yeah. Yep. And that killed football a little bit, really. Sita- that was, my... was that Satanta? Uh, no, it was uh, another one. Yeah. I know who you mean. Yeah. What happened was they all these you know, Manx, I suppose, they'd get the moody boxes, wouldn't they? And they could chip them. So they promised all these monies and no one was subscribing because you could you could fix the boxes and, and get it for free. So they were flying around for 30 quid, 40 quid, and they were all chipped and everyone could watch the football without having to pay. So I think it went bust, but they they've done a four year, I think a three or four year plan with all the football league clubs where they're going to get X amount of pounds over three or four years, and a lot of the clubs then borrowed on the back of it. And when it went bust, they never got the money, and then obviously they still got to pay the loan repayments. So that year when I left Sheffield Wednesday, there was a lot of clubs in a lot of trouble, and everyone had to cut the squads, everyone had to cut the budgets, and I'd gone from playing in the championship with Sheffield Wednesday to getting that no offers whatsoever apart from Northampton Town and they just got to, taken over by uh, a new owner that had a decent budget at the time you know you've gone from you know you're looking at 60% of your money you'd lose at least and Northampton were the only ones who were paying okay so I ended up signing for Northampton in League 2 um, and I, I had that feeling actually you walk in and you've obviously got a nice car because you've been playing at a decent club and Northampton was a small League Two side that that had just come into money, so a lot of their players weren't on a lot of money, and and you you pulling in, you know, from coming from Premiership and Championship, and everyone expects you to be Pele, do you know what I mean, straight away. Um, and as a you know a, a saying in football, I suppose you sometimes only as good as what you play with. Uh, you know, it's easier. You know, I remember time and time people from Man United would go on loan to to lower league clubs and not do very well, you know, because there wasn't the right character or there wasn't the right style of player and. If they're playing at Man United in the reserves with a load of top players around them, they, they look decent. But if you go down to a League Two side and the ball's over your head and you're not getting a touch, then some of these footballers don't look that good. So they expected to be brilliant. Um, I was fortunate I was a centre defender and your attributes can can kind of speak to themselves. I'm not a, a technical midfielder where I have to balance off other technical midfielders. But there is definitely a, an expectation before you get into the club that you, you're going to be a fantastic player. So it is tough going in. Um and my time at Northampton, I got injured, so I, I didn't even live up to my expectation, to be honest. Yeah. And then everyone's thinking, geez, this lad's top earner and he's hardly playing, he's injured. And then all the pressure comes in from being injured as well. So it can be quite tough. Yeah. Do you get that? Do you reckon that's also the case as a manager? Because one thing I notice is the top players, the England players from a lot of that class or the World Cup, when we were, when you guys were playing, they're all they're all getting into management. And you mentioned Gary Neville. But you've got other people as well, like even people like or Lampard recently, um, Sol Campbell, those type of people. Do you think that they struggle when they are asked to go and manage a real lower league 
League Two team. So if if you were to ask, I know obviously Lampard, he did all right um, in the Championship, hasn't done too well in the Premier League. If you were to ask him to go and manage Northampton, do you think he'd have the same problems? I think it, once you've been into management, you know, you, all the all the Premier League managers, they're all they're all top drawer, aren't they? There's there's not much between them. Um, it, it it becomes apparent what's around you. You know, your recruitment's got to be spot on. You know, ninety percent of the you know, the, the job these days is recruitment. Managing is more about, you know, the harmony of the squad, the man management, um, you know, the big clubs, you know, a lot of the, the managers, they don't even coach that much, do they? they? They have, you know, assistant coaches, first team coaches. It's more about the off-field stuff, making sure everybody's happy, the team spirit um, and getting your signings right. So I think when you go to a lower league club, it's even more apparent that you've got to be, be clever with your your signs of players. I mean, the ones that, that do well sometimes are, are ones that have good connections and get good loan players in um, through their connections. And then all of a sudden they get top loan players in from Premier League clubs and all of a sudden they look like a fantastic manager. Um, so I think it becomes more reliant on recruitment. Um, but again, like you say, people expect you to be you know, a genius because you've played at the top level as a manager and it, it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can't remember who it was last season. Got promoted from the champ. Oh, Forest got promoted from the championship last year with. Well, they have some like seven loan players in their starting eleven. Yeah, I mean that's how it works, and it. I, I know the lad I was assistant to, Michael Appleton. I was assistant with him at Portsmouth, Blackpool, and um, Blackburn Rovers, and he had a, a fantastic year at Lincoln uh, before he, he went to Blackpool two seasons ago, and he he had a load of top loan players and overachieve with Lincoln. And then all of a sudden you don't quite get the same loan players and then you're mid-table and people think you're a, a bad coach. You're the same coach, yeah. but you've just not been, you've not had the same signings or you've not had the same budget. So, you know, it's a lot, you know, League League One, League Two is is heavily reliant on budgets. Um, you know, people look a fantastic manager, but, you know, most of them have got the got the, a top six budget. Yeah. Yep. Very true. All right. What we can do is we're going to pause it there. And then when we come back, we will hear the rest of um, your best 11. Welcome back to part two of Ash Westwood's My Best 11. So far, we've got Kevin Pressman, Gary Neville, Andy Hinchfield, Des Walker, and Sean Dyche. Um, I'm apologising on behalf of Marvin because his internet reception is appalling. So we'll see how we go with Marv's 60 seconds. Marvin. Okay. Ash, VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Messi or Ronaldo? Well, nowadays, Messi. Okay. Favourite other sport? Um, probably golf. Golden goal or penalty shootout? Penalty shootout. Beer, wine or spirit? Beer. Pele or Maradona? Pele. Fish and chips, pie and chips, or pasta? Pie and chips. Bundesliga, La Liga, or Syria? Bundesliga. Worst dressed player? That might take a little bit of a while. Worst dressed player? Uh, Sol Davis. <laughs> Best dressed player? Uh, got to be David Beckham, on it. David Beckham. Best, okay. Best ground you played at? Um, yeah, probably the Emirates. And favourite holiday destination? Uh, been a few, but the one I've been in the most Grand Canaria, even though that's not that glamorous. Excellent, Marvin. I thought you were going to say Malaysia for a second. <laughs> oh, I did. No, worse that. Um, so you you've um you spent a bit of, you you spent a bit of time in um that kind of area, India, um, Malaysia. What would you say the the major difference is 
um, between their football and what you see in kind of Northern Europe, I suppose. Not even say that Spain, Portugal, Greece is the same. It's kind of totally different in England. What's the difference? I just think um, with India, obviously there's, there's, you know, I went there in 2014, so that's what, eight, nine years ago. Um, but it was at that time, which is where I compare it to, it, football was, was fairly big there, but it wasn't, kids weren't playing it from age of two, three, four, five, which is what you get in Europe. Um, so they improve really fast in India. Technically, they're okay, but it's that. Um, what's I don't know. It's that. It's that. You know, game game awareness. I suppose. Um, you know, experience of of understanding. You know. You know, in 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 Europe, I suppose, if you pass the ball to the centre half, you know, your, your fullbacks are already moving. You know, in India, it's only when the centre half gets it, the fullbacks will then move. You know, it's 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 probably t- it used to be like two dimensional, if you like. Um, where you know there's many pieces moving on a jigsaw puzzle. India was a little bit reactive football, which obviously it comes with experience. The more you play, the more you watch, the more you you, you know that the ball's going to to from A to B. You're going to be you know E in the chain, so it's going from A to B to C to D, and and you finally get an E. So everything moves a little bit quicker because of your your game awareness um, and your understanding of football. So it, it just takes a while to improve that. Um, where India was a little bit. You know, it's only when it gets to D that the the E position is moving. Um, but it that's that's miles better now because they've been playing it. You know, more more and more, and it's it's more and more on TV. And you know, the TV analysis is there, and people are understanding football a little bit more. Um, and it, it's getting better and better, and it improves really quickly. But it's that it's that understanding of of football really that that's comes with you know the old ten thousand hour rule, I suppose. Yeah, I was gonna say, how long do you reckon that's gonna take? Because you always wonder why is it that China, India, Indonesia, why is it that <laughs> considering the amount of money they spend to buy the TV rights, I always wonder is it a case of is it because they don't watch actually live? Because there's a hell of a difference at ground watching a game and seeing players move than it is watching on telly. But why do you think is they can't catch up? Because it doesn't seem like they're getting anywhere headway. No, I think they a lot of them are. I mean, when I first went to India, there were 165 in the world. I think there are about 100 now. Um, you know, all these Asian countries are, are improving rapidly once the the money comes in, the infrastructure. It's all about the academies and and the, and the pathways and the games. You know, you look at a, an English kid. You sign for a club at four or five years of age. You know, you go right through all the systems. You know, you you, you play Sunday league football, school football, your you club football, and you've played loads and loads of football matches um and it's it's them competitive football matches that the asian countries don't get into the young ages um and it's only when you know more academies start forming more leagues start forming you know more competition plays you get put into live situations where you make a mistake at 10 years of age and you cost your team a goal and everyone's spewing because it's a competitive match that really means something to you and you remember that mistake and you learn off it so it's the exposure to competitive football from a, from a young age, which is the difference in Europe compared to Asia. You know, you, if, even if I think of Bangalore, where I was, there's like 11 million kids. It's massive traffic's everywhere. You know, there's loads of little academies coming up, but they don't hardly play any matches because the leagues aren't there. So you can train and train and train at these academies, but unless you get put into live situations, competitive matches, where you get a psychological start, scar because you've made a mistake or you get a psychological scar because you've done something good and you've won the game, and it means something, then that's how, how you learn, isn't it? So from from those you know situations, being a kid, falling, making a mistake, 
doing something good that makes you feel feel good because you've won and that's how you, you start to improve your your game awareness because everything means something yeah so you reckon it's not gonna be a quick fix there, or is, there is no quick this is this is going to be a 20 30 40 year yeah for sure it's grassroots and, and improving all the all the infrastructure underneath first team first teams that the finished article isn't it the you know that the, the international player who plays for india but you've got to go through so many different rungs of the ladder to get there you know you yeah. can't just play for a season be an international player and and, and going to be competitive with, with teams across europe um so you just need the grassroots it's like anything that's why everyone always talks about grassroots you need yeah. those those things underneath you who, and who's who's the Sorry, I was just saying, who's the yeah. David Beckham of India football? It was my my player, actually, uh, a lad called Sunil Chetri. Um, I signed him when I first went to India. He was playing for Sport in Lisbon, um, B team or C team or whatever. I don't think he'd made a... But he was kind of like the the Indian kind of pin-up boy. And uh, I signed him in 2014 with a big expectation. And it was decent. You could see he was decent. He was technically good. But he, he he had no idea of you know conditioning um, you know body fat percentages it was surprising because he'd been into Europe or to a couple of places fitness was nowhere near um, and you know we developed him we got a lot of fitness a lot of nutrition into him lots of uh, conditioning work in the gym and you know he took it all on board and he's clever enough and astute enough and he went on to be India's best player he's now thirty seven I think thirty eight still playing I think he's He's on the old time. I think he scored 120 odd goals for India at international level. So he's, he's, I think he's, you know, he's in like the top five of all time international scorers or something. But he's, uh, he's got a big profile, uh, quite famous in India. And at sports, never as big as cricket, obviously. But he's got a, he's got a big following, and he'll, he'll probably retire this season, next season, and, and you'll see him go on to be, I don't know, maybe politically. Co- connected somewhere or it'll be a huge figure with it within Indian sports because his, his, his profile is that big. That's a lot of goals. I mean, I'm not being disrespectful. I mean, what did, I mean, they must have played got quite a lot of victories against quite a lot of teams. You know I mean, 100 on goals for India. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a top player. He scored, you know, a lot of goals in the ISL as well and, and for, for Bengaluru FC. Um, but they, they, they have lots of, you know, they... Like we mentioned, their games exposure—they they managed to do it in and around Asia. You, you know these SAF championships, these Asia Cups, Asia Games. You know, there's lots of games against you know Cambodia's, your, your Singapore's, your Nepal's, okay. stuff like that. Um, and India, in and around that region, are, are quite competitive. It's only when they go to the next stage, you know, the AFC, the Asian Cup, where you're playing against, uh, you know, your your teams from the from the Gulf regions, the Chinas, the the Koreas. Um, Japan's where they they start to to be a bit of a difference, but within the the Southeast Asia teams, like I mentioned, Nepal, Cambodia's, Singapore's, you know, Malaysia, even uh, Thailand, you know, they, they're quite competitive. India, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So we're going to get back to your eleven, um, and we're going to go to you said two holding. You got a couple of holders in there, so whichever way you want to go. Yeah, I think the one um, again. I've probably played with with maybe better midfielders, um, but again, I always look back to, you know, if you if if you start winning trophies and you're a bit of a serial winner, then that's no coincidence. Um, and this this fella gets in for that uh, character winner, you know, a good voice in and around the dressing room as well. Um, I'm trying to give you a clue that doesn't give it away. Um, 
won many league titles as well. Um, that's that's one clue. If you don't get it, I'll give you another one that probably will. Won many league titles at Holding Mid. Oh, no. I wouldn't say he's a Holding Mid, though, the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, this um, would be more of a box-to-box midfielder without being attacking, but but certainly could could hold around and, and break up play. At United? No. Oh, okay, right. Um, not a United, Marv. Not no. What Liverpool? No. So if I give you league titles, you, you automatically think Premier League, but this was Scottish Premier League titles. Oh, he played for. I, I could have actually. I'll give you another clue. I could. Have oh, actually... hang on, hang on. At Bradford. Yeah. Stuart McCall. That's the one. Yeah. I actually think I reckon I could have made a my best eleven of ginger players that I've played with. Because I seem to be getting quite a few rangers in there, as they say in, in Australia, with Daishi and Did you uh, get it? Stuart McCall. Yeah, Stuart McCall. Yeah. Yeah, he won five league titles, I think, in seven years at Rangers. Won uh, three cups at Rangers. And obviously, we got promoted to Bradford. And uh, we stayed up in the Premier League. And when we got promoted, probably his biggest achievement was falling off a car on Sky Sports and managing not to spill a drop of his beer. <laughs> like a true Scotsman. I don't know if you've ever seen that clip, the Marv would have, but if you ever Google Stuart McCall falls off car, fantastic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's when we, we we beat Wolves to get promoted to the Premier League. And uh, he was a good drinker, Stuart McCall. So I don't know what happened. We'd had a, a few champagnes as you do in the dressing room. Most of it gets sprayed up the wall. We'd, we'd gone from Wolves to Bradford, which is only maximum a two-hour drive. We'd had a couple of beers in the players' lounge after. The, we'd had a few on the bus. And then everyone's waiting at the ground for the celebrations. And for some reason, he climbs up onto the car with his beer, giving it all that. And then he, he stumbles, done, he falls and smashes his face on the car, but manages to hold his beer up and not spill a drop. <laughs> it's a great little clip. Have a look at it on YouTube. <laughs> it was a, he must have been a good lad to bring in. I mean, that's a serial, you're talking about serial winners and you've got Des Walker and things like that in there, but that's an absolute serial winner. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, and it, it, it can be no coincidence, can it? Um, you know, we we should never have got promoted, I should say, with Bradford, with the squad we had. But the characters, it kind of managed itself. You know, we had people like Dean Windass, Peter Beagery, um, you know, winners, really, that that just just were hungry. Um, and they're just John Dreyer, just all the, all the lads that have been there, seen it, done it. And he was someone that, you know, was reliable, play every week, seven out of ten, run around, run himself into the ground, galvanise a squad, pull players around. And they're just a decent character and, uh, you know, good for team spirit. And again, somebody loud in and around the dressing room, laughing and joking. But when training started, it would be serious. When games started, obviously it would be serious. So just a, just a decent and again, solid citizen. Yeah. So right. you, you enjoyed your time at Bradford. Um, I read up that your last game for Bradford, you were sent off in. Um, well, that doesn't surprise me. I had a few of those. I think I got sent off 12, 13 times in my career. I think I got sent off at Luton, actually, and I didn't even do anything. I just you did? Before. <laughs> you, how? What? Why are I you laughing, Mark? Did you get me in trouble? I'm playing no, no, Luton. no, it's just that. I remember the game. I remember the game. Because he's just a nutter. He literally... <laughs> no, I got sent off for swearing. I you get sent off for swearing. like, And it wasn't even that bad. It just... It was one of them where I used to shout all the time and I think I shouted some at the ref, but just as I shouted, it was almost like everyone had said shh to the crowd because it, it was deadly silent. And I was like, shit, that was a bit loud. 
But if the crowd was loud, you, if the ref wouldn't have heard it, it wouldn't have been so bad. Then he just turned around and set me off, and I was like, oh, "What straight man. red? Straight red for swearing? Unbelievable!" Yeah, that is that's an offence. Yeah, that is. Yeah, but he, he, you know, it's like everyone swears in football, don't they? And he, he never I know. Gets sent off, but this was like I say, it was like someone had just said minute silence, and it was just as everyone shut up that I swore, and it, it just sounded so bad. So I was unlucky there. But Would the you say the rest one, of your reds were unlucky? Oh, I never did. I never deserved any of them. <laughs> I think uh, I'm trying to think of the game I got sent off for for Bradford. I remember I did get sent off for one in Bradford against QPR. So that was the second to last game of the season. And uh, it was actually for an headbutt, which which wasn't an headbutt. Um, again, I didn't do anything. You're on it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it does. I, got, I think I got a three or four match ban for that. And uh, it killed me because we started the Premier League and I was suspended. And uh, I was kind of, I remember we had squad numbers. I was squad number six. Uh, Paul Jewell pulled me in the summer looking for a centre-half to play alongside me. I was involved in that process. They, you know, they decided on David Weatherall. So it was going to be me and David Weatherall for the for the Premiership campaign. But I had, a, had three matches left to serve on this ban. And uh, the young lad underneath me, number 14, uh, Andy O'Brien, came in and done really well. And he, he stayed in all season and I hardly got my place back. So I ended up being on the sidelines it substitute, substitute nearly all season because of that headbutt, basically. So that, that taught me a harsh lesson. Um, you know, don't headbutt anyone, basically. Don't <laughs> 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 headbutt So, so all, all those kids out there, don't go around headbutting anybody. Because <laughs> you, you might ruin your Premier League career. Might cost your Premiership campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So you got Stuart McCall in there. Who's next to Stuart McCall? Um... This one may be toughy to get foreign foreign player. Uh, not too many foreigners in there, but you you need a bit of a balance, I suppose. But this was a an international foreigner that that played at the highest highest level. Uh, only played actually one game with him, and um, and that was at Sheffield Wednesday. So that that's a clue. Dutch international. Dutch, correct. Go Marvin. Wimjonk. Yep, that's him. Wimjonk, and uh, only. When I went to Sheffield Wednesday, obviously you do your um, just cut off there. You do your little research on who's in and around the squad, and you look at Uzu and and Vim Young's name stuck out straight away. And then you start looking into his career, and you know you remember seeing him at the in the World Cups. I remember being involved in the celebration with Dennis Bergkamp and and stuff like that. And you know we trained with him all pre-season, and it was the first game of the season. Actually, we played Huddersfield at home. Sheffield Wednesday fans might remember it, and I think we were. 3-0 down at half-time, and it was, uh, I think it was our first home game of the season. So my first two games were Sheffield Wednesday. First one I ever played in was away at Wolves, and Kevin Pressman got sent off after 60 seconds, come running out of his box and, and smashed into someone straight red. And I think we drew Wolves with 10 men, um, which was a decent result. The second game of the season was home at Huddersfield, and we're three down at half-time, and we're obviously horrendous. Um, and Vim Young came off at half-time with a sore groin, I'll never forget it um, because he's he's gone in and he's took his shin pads off and he's like gaffer my groin's sore I'm out anyway he was he was out for the whole season with a groin strain that's what that's all I remember so he's obviously something's going wrong there and then as he came off with his groin strain Giles the builder takes his shin pads off chucks him in the middle of the dressing room and I remember Paul Jew looking at me and he's like Giles what's wrong what's wrong and he went I injured I injured and he went. What, what what's wrong and uh, the, so Vim Young's come off with a groin 3-0 down Gilles the builder's come off and he's the only man I've ever seen come off with with a and he went what's wrong Gilles and he went everywhere and that's how he came off 
he came off with an everywhere. I've never seen it before in my life. Um, and he he didn't. I don't think he played again all season. So that was our two foreign superstars that that didn't play. Um, but again, Marv froze there. Just said Gilles the builder came off with an everywhere. What's wrong? Everywhere. It was unbelievable. Everywhere. Yeah. But Vim, I, I, the, the funny story of Vim is someone said the rumour was he was on £5,000 in appearance, but if he got injured in the first team, he still got his 5,000 appearance. If he got injured, it was a crazy deal that he was on. And I remember we had seven games in 21 days once and Vim Young went back to Holland for some rehabilitation. And he just and I remember him texting me saying 35,000 for the seven games that he didn't play. He was in Holland. <laughs> Oh yeah, but he was a top player. Um, again, only only played with him in one game, but trained six weeks preseason, seen what a, what a great player he was. And uh, the rumor was he had he had four clubs when he came to England to choose from. He went to talk to Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, and signed for Sheffield Wednesday. So that gives you an idea on some kind of contract that he must have been on at Sheffield Wednesday. That's a bit. Yeah, I think they they just went mad, didn't they? Um, they finished they finished fourth in the Premier League, and then that season just threw money around like it was confetti and obviously paid for it many years later because they, they almost went bankrupt. Yeah. Did, did, what, did they literally just not fancy it? Was that what it was, do you reckon? I mean, August is quite nice weather. You always remember the opening couple of days of the season. I remember it as a kid. Um, everybody's got their shirts off and they're staying in the stands and you're thinking, if they're pulling a sook now, <laughs> they're never yeah. going to be able to. <laughs> I think it was just, um, they got relegated from the Premier League and this was the Championship and these these players were you know, international superstars and they were thinking, what am I doing playing in this championship? You know, you're playing Huddersfield at home and Andy Booth, uh, was it Andy Booth would have been up? No, he was at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Andy Booth would be. Just, you know, championship football compared to playing for Holland in the World Cup is a a lot different, isn't it? You're playing 46 league games, the ball's in the air half the time, you're fighting for everything. And these these foreigners were like, get me out here, get me back to, to Holland or wherever I've come from. So they just didn't fancy it. Fantastic, fantastically brilliant. So we'll move on to your what do you call them? Attacking midfielders, yeah. Attacking midfielder again. Um, you know, probably a, a serial winner again, I suppose. Um, most people will you, you'd easily guess this if you ask most players who's one of the best midfielders you've played against or who's technically the one, most of them always say this. This lad is this the man who Pele said was the greatest player he's ever seen. Again, I uh, it looks like I'm putting a ginger eleven in, doesn't it? Another yeah. ginger, another ginger <laughs> superstar. Did Pele say that, or am I misunderstanding? Misremembering that? Um, he said something it, like that, didn't he? I thought it, I thought it was Zidane. Yeah, Zidane. Was, was, did did you see some quote from Xavi as well, saying he's technically the best midfielder he's ever seen, and he was unbelievable. Yeah. But I think what people didn't realise about. Uh, well, you've not even mentioned his name oh, yet, so we might yeah, Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes. <laughs> Paul Scholes. Yeah. Um, he was from Manchester Oldham, and he, he was nasty as well. You know, he could tackle. Um, yeah. They he always used to get away with it. Oh, that was a centre forwards tackle. I didn't mean it. But you know, training day in day out, as we used to play eleven v eleven at least twice a week, first years v second years, so class of ninety two v class of ninety three, and it was like World War World War Two. Um, World War Three, whatever. Eric Harrison, the coach, he would create that much aggression and, and atmosphere, and that it was life or death. That well, first and foremost, you weren't allowed to play unless you had your your best friends on, as he called it, which is your studs. You weren't allowed to wear molds, and basically, you just kick shit out of each other for for <laughs> 60, 90 minutes in training, and it, it was really aggressive. And skulls would smash people, Nicky Butt would smash people, 
I'd have a have a good effort to try and get people back, Michael Appleton in our midfield. And we were just just beating each other up, really. And it was, you know, as they see it back then, just toughening you up for for getting you ready for that theatre of dreams. But Scholes always used to get away. He used to see it week in, week out in the Premier League. He'd, he'd get up and hold his hands up. Oh, and the, the commentators were like, oh, that's a typical centre-forwards tackle there. Don't know how to tackle missed time. But I bet you if you asked Scholes, there was no missed time in about it. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, and he's... um. And it, I mean, talking of quality, quality players, did you see it then? Did you know he'd go right to the top? Yeah, I think he he, he, he used to play centre forward a lot and then drop into like pockets of space um, at Man United. Then they'd play him off the left in training and he'd, he'd find that little pockets in between the fullbacks and the midfielders. But just the, um, I think what stood out for him is he, he seemed to have, you know, I used to call it fly vision. You know, like they say, you know, when you try and swat a fly, you can't because it, it everything's in slow motion. So you can never quite get that fly, can you? Because the, yeah. the, the vision slows everything down and, and Skulls seem to have that natural ability where he would not panic. His, his composure is unbelievable. His awareness was, was fantastic. And it was as if everything was in slow motion to him because he could see the picture. Um, you know, he, he, he never got caught on a ball. If, if someone's closing down from the left, his first touch would be to his right. And just the natural ability of, of manipulating that ball and just having having more time than everybody else on the ball because his, his ability was that good. Yeah. Do you, uh, I mean, Alvin, you, you obviously left. You told us a story about Sir Alex um, and leaving there. But you got people like Scalzi, um, Giggs. I know, they, I don't know Giggs wasn't in that class, but Neville, who never left. Did you ever ask them why? Or did you ever wondered why they didn't leave? Because oh, don't get me wrong, United were the best team in the, in the world for a number of years. But did you ever wonder why they didn't have a go somewhere else? Yeah, I think obviously all them you mentioned there are local lads, aren't they, from Manchester? Um, you know, grew up with a club, support the club, and, and probably just felt at home. And it's probably that fear of, of coming out of your comfort zone. And obviously, once they, you know, in my, I think it was my second year or first year apprentice, they won the league. And that once they won that first league, they started winning it, you know, time after time, going into Europe, obviously 99, winning the Champions League. So when you're at the biggest club and you're winning trophies, you know, why would you leave? Um, I suppose. Testament to them is they, they wouldn't have been earning the money they could have earned elsewhere. Um, so that's you know humbling because uh, they it was renowned Man United. They, you'd sign for Man United for less that you'd get anywhere else because it you know Sir Alex used to see it as a privilege and it was a privilege playing for him. And he used to attract players on the basis that you come into Manchester United and he'd get people for cheaper um, because the the club was set up that that well. Yeah. Oh. So Scalzi, who's next to Scalzi? Are we playing wingers? Yeah, the four-two-three-one. So um, again, probably from the same era. Right winger, you, you probably don't need any more clues than that. Depends on how hard the pitch you're playing, Bex. Yeah. Um, again, another serial winner, trophies, clubs. I mean, you look at his clubs, don't you? Real Madrid, LA Galaxy, AC Milan, PSG. Um, you know, there's probably only what I don't think there's anything missing there. Is the top team in Spain, top team in Italy, top team in France, top team in. In America, obviously, uh, been there, seen it, done it, and he's yeah. conquered the world, hasn't he? Uh, there's no no more you have to say about Beckham. He's done everything. Um, again, talented player, great technique, and uh, I think something that, well, probably they would know now, but you know, a unbelievable engine. You know, running at Man United, he'd be top of the top of the tree, cross country running, long distance running, whatever you want. He had a, an unbelievable engine, so and a, and a great desire, uh, bravery on the ball. You know, brave to step up, take set pieces in in those cold runs, and and always deliver the key moments. 
Yeah. And, and yeah, like you said, he speaks for himself, one of the most decorated players and, and going on to play for, for his country. Um, did you did you play for England working through the, the youth youth levels, Ash? Yeah, I did. Uh, 18s, 21s. Um, Phil Neville was in my England side. Um, we're unlucky, actually, at the 18s because I think we had a, we got beat by Hungary for a, a European Championship uh, qualification. I think the game was at Warsaw, actually. I think we got beat. I don't know if it was on penalties or something, but that knocked us out of the qualifications. Otherwise, we would have gone on to to go into Europe and play more games. I had uh, Kevin Davis played in that up front as well. Stephen Clements in midfield. I'm just trying to think back on, on who played. But again, you, you don't realise it when, you, when you're young and you're playing 18, 19, all these memories that you try and think back now. You should you know, keep a bringing scrapbook in your team sheets and you'd be able to look at them, but you never do. You just think the day's never going to end. And it's only when it finishes, you look back and you think, Oh, I don't even know where my England cap is, for example. You know, I've got England caps around somewhere and you, you oh. don't keep them all, which is which is daft. Um, so I can't really name hundreds of players I've played with in that England setup, but I can name a few. Left winger. I was flipping a coin here, to be honest, to, to put in. Um, <clears throat> two different types of, of left wingers, but I'll probably... I'll pr- both I played with at Bradford, to be honest. So there's your clues. Two left wingers, it could have been either one of them. And they've both played, played with me at Bradford. Bigry one. Peter Beager is one. Um, I, I'm flipping a coin, so I could probably name two. He was one. He was, the other was one's one. Lee Sharp. Correct. Um, and completely different. Obviously, Lee Sharp, fast, left winger, get to the byline, cross it. Um, Peter Beager was <clears throat> probably annoying for, for centre forwards because he'd chop it more times than the frigging, you know, a butcher. You know, the, the amount of times he got across and faint and come inside and then cross again and, and then cross again and, used to create arguments with the centre forwards because they'd have to make four or five different runs across the, the centre halves in the box because Beager would never deliver it. But um, mental toughness, Beager's had, um, would step up and take three kicks and score in key moments. Decent career as well, obviously. Played for Everton, Middlesbrough, um, I think Sheffield United, Bradford. And again, uh, a good character and, and mental toughness, which is what, what got us promoted in at Bradford, was those characters, those, that mental toughness. And to stay up as well when we did stay up against all the odds again was uh, was just down to sheer team spirit and mental toughness really. And Beagery would have been part of that. Yeah. So you got Beagery? Yeah, I think I'll go for Beagery. Although you know Lee Sharp's probably a, a better player, but didn't have the longer career. You know, had had, had injuries towards the end. Uh, I think you know he played hundred odd games, and he for Man United went to Leeds and did his cruciate, and that probably never really recovered. I don't think from that cruciate ligament injury and, and and lost a yard of pace. Um, and he was all about pace, wasn't he? And speed and entertaining football. Uh, but it was certainly about entertaining from what you hear. The stories you hear about him going to yeah, nightclubs night and setting up. He, he, was, he was as much fun about in the nightclubs and setting up all those type of after events. Um, apparently Lee Sharp, is that right? Yeah. And I think that obviously would have affected his, his career as well. You know, we used to, well, I mean, I, I was the same. We all used to go out, didn't we? Drink after the game, drink on the bus and... That kind of went out of football, didn't it, in the, in the, the early 2000s where you couldn't get away with it because the, the physical side of the game improved, the GPS systems came in. You know, in our day, you'd probably be doing nine, ten thousand 10,000 metres. Now they're doing 12, 13,000 metres. You've got to be, you know, the, the elite fit, fittest of fit. Otherwise, you get injured and, and somebody comes and takes your place. Yeah. Do you think it's that and also social media? The fact you yeah, can't that's... go anywhere anymore? You were talking about I... going out for a curry with Dodge the other day. And I'm sure that... <laughs> There'd be hundreds of people taking photos. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, I went out with him in Nottingham not so long back and 
after about the 15th person coming up asking for a selfie, it gets a little bit annoying. And that's not a selfie with me. I'm normally the one taking a picture of them two, you know what I mean? But, um, Does he mention that? Yeah, he, I mean... He, he does gets, he say, does he want a selfie with him? <laughs> it does, actually, yeah, sometimes. He's, um, but he's what they call him the ginger Mourinho, don't they? So he sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, it, 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 and you'd, you'd be surprised. you think, you know, Sean Dyche, Burnley, but he's probably more recognisable than some of the other managers. Um, and people just, like I say, within the first hour, there'll be 15, 20 people asking for for uh, a self. And he's thinking, I'm just here to have a beard, you know what I mean? But he's obviously polite and he does does what he does and he takes the pictures, but it must be pretty annoying if it gets to that that's that standard. So I suppose, like you say, they, they can't really go many places, but it's also a choice. You know, you, you, footballers now, they, they know they can't get away with it. Not, not so much going out, but you can't drink to an excessive level and, and play, you know, the amount of league games and, and football matches they do, 60, 70 games a season. You chuck the international games in and you've got to be, you know, the fittest of the fit, aren't you? Otherwise, you, you will get injured because you're putting your body through that much physical stress. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So you want Beagree? Beckham and Scolzi. So who is leading that line? You need a runner, don't you, when you're playing with one? Sometimes you need a big target, man. I'd mentioned Kevin Davis before, um, but my one was was faster, uh, would run down the channels, would would chase things, and a, and a goal scorer. You know, every every side needs a goal scorer, a goal poacher, you know, get across people in the box. And again, another great character. Um, and there's my clues. <laughs> I can give you more. <laughs> It's, do you know what? I was looking at your strikers, and I reckon out of all the positions, defensive is a lot of defenders, but I reckon strikers, there's a hell of a lot of awesome strikers you played with. Um, I know you mentioned, I'll put a couple down that you mentioned a minute ago about throwing, a, throwing their shin guards in, um, even to Builder and stuff. But there are you played with some great, great strikers. I'm just buying myself some time here until Marv gets back <laughs> on. Um, <laughs> it's, and he can help me with guessing. So... I mean, Go on, no, yeah. we haven't had so out and out striker who could run for fun. I mean, what part of your career are we talking, right. Ash? Um, yeah, early, early part of my career, played with him. Um, like I say, goal poacher, scorer, tough as well. Surprisingly tough, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it. I remember he used to say, "Don't be fooled by the framework." That was always his saying. <laughs> um, did he? Did he? Did he play at? Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Did he play for Liverpool? Yeah. Oh, okay. Was he your manager as well? He was, yeah. And uh Dean Saunders. An unbelievable character. Um stories, fantastic. I mean, he does the after dinner speaking now, doesn't he, as well? And uh I'm sure he's got impressions as well. He used to do impressions of everyone and he's brilliant <laughs> at it. It, it uh I heard he used to do John, John Barnes, he used to do a good John Barnes, didn't he? Uh, someone said. John Barnes, um, his Welsh the Welsh manager he had. He used to do Ron Atkinson. Um, he used to do Frank, um, the, the old Forest manager Frank. Was it Frank uh, Bark. Frank Bark? Yeah, I think he once did uh, a Beatles song at, uh, at Nottingham Forest, and everyone was laughing in the room. He sung uh, a song in the Frank Clark voice, and everyone was laughing their heads off, and he couldn't understand why they were laughing that much. And it's because Frank Clark was there, and he didn't know he was there. <laughs> But he was good at the. He's good at the stories. Good at the impressions. Um, and would always tell great stories. Um, and it, it used to, he used to always have a, a tongue in cheek laugh at how much money he had. You know, one of those like quite dry with it. I obviously done well. He went to Galatasaray, didn't he, with Graham Souness and Benfica, and or was, was it Benfica? 
but he used to, yeah. you know, he used to joke about his house got burgled and the police managed to catch him because they ran out of petrol going down his drive, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one he told me, um, he's just deadly serious as well, and you never know if he's joking or being serious. And he was like, Ash, got a big problem at the house. He went, these herons keep coming in and like stealing the fish out of the water. He's like, how, how, how do I stop it? And I said, oh, you're supposed to stick like a, a plastic heron in the side. Because if they see one, they don't don't come near each other. He went, no, no. He said, I've tried that. It doesn't work. So I said to him, uh, what about if you um, if you put a net across it? You can get these nets that you put across it, and it stops them stealing the fish. And he just looked at me and went, no, I don't think the yachting club will be happy with that. So, you know, just just messing around, like always making out that he's got a huge houses and stuff like that. But he was funny. He was, uh, he was a funny lad. And he and he'd he'd earned said, it. He earned it the hard way. Because he yes. was, he got battered in that eight, in the eighties. He was well, he, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. He was tough. Um, he come from Swansea, didn't he? I think in in, yeah. in Wales. I think his dad was was a good uh, character builder for him. You know, teaching him. He, he could tackle Dean. He could look after himself. I think he got sued once, didn't he, by uh, Elliot at Chelsea for ending his career? Did he? Yeah, I think he he went to Cork about that. I think there was a. Uh, I think Elliot tried to smash him and Dean Saunders knew how to tackle and I think Elliot ended up... What, ending Paul Elliot? Or... Yeah, the centre-half, Chelsea centre-half. Wow, didn't know that. Yeah, I think there was a court case about it. So, you know, Dino knew how to look after himself. He was small. Um, he was uh, he was a decent player, good character, brave, um, and went on to, what, he scored 70-odd, no, 20-odd goals for Wales. 70-odd caps. I think he scored over 200 goals. He played over 700 games and played in different countries. And again, someone who's been there, seen it, done it. And he's played for so many different clubs. A lot of people don't even remember, like suddenly you remember, oh, did he play for Villa? And you just like, all these different clubs pop into your head. Um, That's awesome. So that's your best 11. I always want to ask as well, you got, just to go through, you've got Pressman, Neville, Hinchcliffe, Walker, Dyche, McCall, Yonk, Skulls, Beckham, Beagree, and Dean Saunders. So, with that 11, which of your ex-managers do you think would be the best at managing that team? doesn't have to be the best manager you've ever worked under. It could be who you could take it that way, or it could be who do you think would be the best one at managing this this bunch of likely lads? Yeah, obviously, the, you know, you're talking about managers, and obviously, if you, if you want to go at the top, obviously... You know, we've got Alex Ferguson in there, haven't we? Um, you know, Paul Jewell was good at, at motivating players, um, but found it a little bit tough when we went to Sheffield Wednesday. I think with the with the multiculturals, with the you know the big hitters, you know, like your Vim Yonks, your Andy Inchcliffe's, they they were hard to manage at a time, which I think he found difficult. Um, Colin Calderwood, I had at Northampton Town, who was very good. Um, he was a good man manager. Uh, was just starting in his career then, and went on to. The man is Nottingham Forest. I think you're Bernie and, and you know done done things. But if if you're talking to managers, you, you can only speak about one. Um, you know, yeah. for the all round package, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson has to obviously get in there. Um, I think everybody who's ever worked underneath him uh, would pick them him as their best manager. I think any manager would pick him as the best manager that's ever played against him. Uh, mind games, managing a squad, instilling discipline, making a winning culture. You know, turning. Boys into men, um, just just the all rounder, wasn't he? Um, won everything, done everything, uh, gone on to to be a a, a global superstar, I suppose, in, in manager and, and leadership. Yeah, yeah, and he's also one of those people that I reckon that needed a comp- competition himself. Do you know what I mean? I know he had it with, with when it was 
when the couple of seasons United had it going easy, you could see it was it was like, who can I not pick on, but who can I kind of rile up just to just to give me this? But then obviously had it with Dal Gleesh for a teeny tiny amount. And then Keegan. Um, he always needed that Keegan or Wenger or Mourinho. He always needed that, I think, as a manager. It was interesting that he felt I, I from observing it felt like he always needed that also to rile himself up as well as the team. Yeah, I think obviously just uh, you know, you go back to his early days and 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 Scottish football and he was just highly competitive, wasn't he, as, as a player and as a manager. Um and just always looking for that that competitive edge, I suppose. Um and again, you, you talk about the, the Keegan moment. He, he must look back at that and think, you know, I've done him a kipper there, haven't I? What, he must be proud of his moments, his mind games, and just just a, a fantastic character. Um, and, and you know, achievements were unbelievable. But like you say, I think everybody, you know, who's been in football always looks for something that, that gets the best out of yourself. And if that's, you know, looking for a rival for a competitive edge, then, then so be it. But he's certainly uh, done everything, hasn't he, as, as a manager? Yeah. Do you look for rivals when you're managing um, yourself? Do you, do you like to to have that mind games? No, I don't think so. Um, I just look at um, you know oppositions and and trying to get my team motivated to to make sure that they you know don't have any regrets or or leave anything behind. I suppose um, just quite intense as a as a as a character and a manager. You know, study the opposition inside out. Um, you know, look for every kind of key percentage that we can improve on and, and something that gives us an advantage, you know, whether that's your, your pre-match meal being spot on or whether it's, you know, something that's, you know, going to help you in, in nutrition or hydration or, you know, some tactical set piece or something that some flaw in the opposition, just try and leave no stone unturned really. Yeah. Awesome. Marvin. Ash, final question. So I know you're in Sydney, Australia, and I appreciate you getting up early as with Andrew did at 5.30am to record this, but um, just to give the, the clubs who you played for and a, super, a few of your supporters, what, what, I mean, what have you been doing since you like stopped playing and that? Yeah, I think I was fortunate that um, at 35, Michael Appleton asked me to go and be his assistant at Portsmouth. Um, I'd already fortunately done my coaching badges by then. I'd done my UA for B, my UA for A, not all my badges, but you know, was in a position to to be able to coach. I think he knew I wouldn't let him down with with my application that I that I would give. You know, work as hard as possible. Um, so I he, he took me to Portsmouth. I went to then Blackpool with him as his assistant, and then Blackburn Rovers as his assistant. And then we got sacked. Um, and ironically, Blackburn was owned by Indians, and then the new Indian side was forming. My name was kind of in the Indian system, so I went over to India for three years to to coach Bengaluru FC in their first season and. Uh, fortunately, we we won the league in our first season. We we came second in our second season only by one point, but won the cup and, and got to the out the group stages in the Asian AFC Cup. And then my third year, we won it again, and they got to the final of the AFC Cup. So I had three good years at, at uh, in India. Then I went to Malaysia. I looked at various things across across Asia. You know, when you you you're coaching Asian, you, you're successful in Asia. You seem to stick into that system. Then and your name's in the Asian. Calendar, if you like. Um, so I ended up kind of being stuck in Asian football. Went to Malaysia, then back to India at various roles, technical directors, head coaches, um, and then in and amongst all that. Once I got into India and I, and I did well, um, I then found a role on TV, being a a football pundit. They call it a football expert, but I wouldn't say a football expert, but can give 
tactical details. You have touch screens and all that stuff. For, you know, do a lot of um, work on on football, but European football. So it'll be we've had Serie A, Champions League, Bundesliga, um, La Liga, World Cups, European Cups. I've been working for for Sony TV in India for that about the last seven years, in and around my coaching as well. Um, went back to England three or four years ago to, to take my English pro license, which was obviously a two-year course with the English FA. So I got fully qualified in, in all the coaching departments. Um, and then just now just doing the TV work, looking for a role in football, really, I suppose, is, is what I'm doing now. Yeah. So you're still looking to go back to the UK one day to, to get back into management in the UK? I, I don't know. I obviously, um, definitely want to coach somewhere, um, whether that's Australia, whether it's India, whether it's you know, I nearly took a job in, in Japan a couple of years ago, um, which, which kind of fell through at the last minute through to COVID. Um, so any, any anything really, uh, still speak to loads of people in English football, still have lots of connections, obviously. Um, go to England many times, but like anything in football, you never know what's around the corner. You never yeah. know when you're, even when you're in a job, you never know what's around the corner. You can get sacked within a minute. I read, uh, I read yesterday, actually, I think, again, Michael Appleton, the lad I was assistant to, he got sacked at Blackpool last week. And uh, I think he was the 14th manager in the championship that had been sacked this season or something. So it's, it's incredible English football. Yep. But yeah, it's just certainly actively looking and, and who knows what's around the corner. Well, uh, Dwight York just got the heave Yeah, exactly. Uh, or he quit. Uh, I can't remember what he said. Well, it's, it's one of those mutual consents in it where I think only the chairman and the, and the manager know exactly what's going on. Well, I think he publicly came out and said that he thinks MacArthur FC are a pub team. Well, I think there was uh, <laughs> that... that 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 was the part of the what do they call it here? Um, what do they call it when someone gives them a, when the manager shouts at them? They, there's a term for it here. Oh, spray. Yeah, that's it. I think that was part of his spray after the game, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> and he got back, and then they he, he said to his own team, "Marv, I think you're a bunch of pub players." Oh gosh. So it doesn't go down too well in uh, modern day no. football. It would would have been great and probably honest in in my Bradford day because most of us were in the pub, but we got promoted doing it. So we probably were a pub team at Bradford, but we were proud of it. But you can't say that these days. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so I want to say on behalf of myself and Marv, thanks so much for your time. Um, and it was awesome catching up with you and speaking to you and finding out your best eleven. Good luck with the future. Yeah. And good luck Chip, with the coaching. Ash, thanks for coming on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks. So that me. was Ash Westwood's my best eleven.